Thank you for listening to the Sharon Church Podcast. If you'd like to know more about the church, please visit us at SharonChurch.com. Now we hope you learn from and enjoy today's message. My name is Greg. For those of you who don't know me, Greg McGehath, I work with the high schoolers, and it is my privilege to continue the series on Epiphany, and we're going to be walking together. It is the one that's gonna step outside of the bounds of John and his writings for which Jeremy has allowed a foundation to be set for us as we enter into the temptation of Christ and what we are going to glean or what we are going to see about who he is through this and what he's wanting to manifest and show us in this. One of the things that I have just really been focused on, and there's one word from last week that I've been carrying forward, and that is the word to behold. And what is it that we are beholding? There's certainly so many things that want to draw our attention away from the affinity or the lordship of, of God. And so we need to be attentive to those things. And what are those things when you lay down, when you wake up? What are those things when, when you're focused on your daydreaming? What are those things, even if it is good and we put it in the wrong order, we turn it to bad. So there's a lot of good things that that we carry with us in life that might not be the best. And God wants to be the best. He's a jealous God. As a matter of fact, he's the only one worthy to be jealous. We all carry a little bit of jealousy with us, but he's the only one worthy because he is the one that should be our first, always our first. As I'm processing through this beholding, and I remember uh, one of the scriptures that Jeremy shared with us was in Hebrews chapter 12, one and two, talking about how we should throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. And I think that it's clear that, that we see that sin, things that the do nots are, are pretty clear that those things we shouldn't be carrying with us in life, but it's those other things, those things that are kind of in the margins that we look at and we see, okay, we're carrying all this stuff with us along the journey. It reminds me, um, the first marathon I ever ran, um, I ran with a friend of mine named David Wilkerson. Now he's a nut and he's now running hundreds of miles at a time and I don't get it, but I have gone and I remember the race that I ran with him. It was cold, it was at Disney World. I wanted my first one to be at Disney World and I remember starting in Epcot. We were in the parking lot. And when we started running, it was cold and everybody was dressed in warm clothes. By the time you got to the Magic Kingdom, I don't know, mile seven, six, I started to notice a pattern. There was clothes on the side of the road. Gloves and jackets and hats. And I'm a cheapskate. Ask my children, they know this about me. I'm a cheapskate. I'm looking at all this stuff going, what in the world? That's a Nike hat. They're throwing it off. I'm picking it up. David's looking at me. I remember the moment so well. There was a guy who had lost his leg and he had one of those little, it was at that moment when he was running past that I darted over and he was passing me. A one-legged man was passing me in the marathon. I'm like, what in the world? But I'm picking up all this stuff. And so I'm running through Disney World and I'm tucking it in my belt and I'm trying to make sure I can keep all the stuff with me for all the things for all the times. You go through the animal kingdom, you're then running through the wild world of sports, you're going through uh, 
MGM or Disney Studios, and then, then you're going through uh, Epcot, and you're going around the countries. And it was at that moment, I was running around the countries, and I only had one thing left. All the other things kept falling. I didn't throw them down. They just fell. It was a pair of gloves. I was probably getting close to USA, and I dropped them. And I remember, I'm only five foot nine at best. I remember looking down and it seemed like it was about four miles from here to there. The thought crossed me, bend over and get it. And then the other thought of you've been cramping for about four miles, don't you dare. I was kind of a running hoarder, shall we say. But isn't that true of a lot of us with life? We want all the things. When we get this thing, we want the other thing. When we want that thing, and then we get it, and we want another thing. And so we're wanting all the things in our lives, and, and, and in and of themselves, they might not be bad things. Nike gloves, it wasn't bad. I didn't pay a penny for them. I just picked them up. They wasn't bad, but I didn't need to be carrying it. There's some things as we travel through here that we need to realize that we need to be laying some stuff down. We need to be setting them down. When we talk about fasting, and Jeremy spoke about it last week and I've been reading with a group of guys and talking about scripture together with this group of guys and we've been talking and fasting's been coming up in some of the scriptures and um, even in what I'm about to be sharing, it talks about fasting and so uh, when we've talked about that before, there's, there's this new trend and it's not a bad thing that, that we can fast from other stuff like social media. It's a good thing to fast from social media. Lord knows that we need to let it go for a season and cleanse our palate and our spirit and refresh ourselves and refocus ourselves. It's, it's good. The original intent, though, was about food. It's about the sustenance that we take inside of our bodies. It was, that was the original intent of these scriptures. And in Matthew chapter 6, verse 16 through 18, it doesn't talk about if, like contemplate. Should I fast as a believer? Should I do that? It's not there. He says in verse 16, when you fast, don't look all downcast. When you fast, don't be a, oh, woe is me, just life is so tough, it's so hard. Verse 17, when you fast, put oil on your head. Prepare yourself, go shower, shave, put on some new clothes. Don't look miserable so that you would then get your reward on earth and not have it when you enter into heaven. As we continue this series and we're looking to the revelation of, of who Jesus is, and we enter into this, we're in Matthew, and we're gonna start at the end of chapter three. We're gonna see that he's gonna be coming out of the water. Heavens are gonna open up, and the Spirit is going to descend on him like a dove, which is peace. In the midst of what's about to transpire, I'm bringing peace to your soul. Rest in this moment. And then the voice of God. The voice of God which says, this is my son. I am well pleased with him. I've done this in the student ministry, not all the time, but sometimes, um, and it's common when the president, and no matter who you vote for or didn't vote for, the president is to be honored. When he enters the room, you're supposed to rise. And so in, in light of that, what we're going to do as we're inviting the Lord into this room and his spirit into this room, his word into this room, and Jesus was the word manifest, and so we're inviting him into this room. I would like everybody who can to stand, and we're gonna read the main part of scriptures that we're going to be looking at today. 
It starts in Matthew chapter three, in verse 13. It says, then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to be baptized by John. But John tried to deter him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? Jesus replied, let it be so now. It is proper for us to do this, to fulfill all righteousness. Then John consented. As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. At that moment, heaven opened up, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, this is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. I want to pause here just a moment. Even though I'm supposed to be teaching on Matthew chapter 4 verses 1 through 11, I think it's of utmost paramount importance that we see what leads into that. At this moment in in Jesus's life, I mean, he was born of a virgin, that's a big deal. He was teaching at the age of 12 in a synagogue and like he was, his parents came to him and they're like, what in the heck, you've made us worry like crazy. And he's like, didn't you know I'm gonna be in my father's house? There was, uh, Mary was receiving a message from Elizabeth that this child is special. He's gonna end up breaking your heart, but man, he's special. I mean, there's things leading up to this, but honestly, his ministry had not yet begun. He really hadn't done a lot of things except not doing wrong. His ministry had not yet begun, and yet we see the Lord enter with his voice to say, that's him. You've been waiting. There he is. Don't miss it. And I'm well pleased with that guy. And he hadn't earned it. He hadn't done all the things yet. Notice that. God's love is not based upon your merit. It's not the stuff that you do. If salvation has come to us through the grace of God, through the blood of Jesus Christ, everything at his cost, not my own, then there's nothing I can do to lose that grace. So rest in this moment before we get into this whole performance thought process of certainly God's disappointed in me. I remember when I started seeing my wife give birth to our children. They're all three right over there. I remember, and I saw the movie Alien, and I I confess my sins openly to you. Um, Things that you wish you can unsee, right? But I remember the moments when you're like seeing things move, and she would ask me to place my hand there and, and I would place my hand there and you would, you would feel the foot or the hand or whatever the world that was moving and I felt a physical connection, not much of an emotional connection. We were at Southern Regional Hospital. All three of our children were born there. Um, I, I remember the first. I'm sitting there dumbfounded, my, my energy is high. Like, if you know me, I'm very, I don't do blood, I don't do injuries very well, so if you get hurt around me, I am the 911 guy, everybody else take care of the person, I've got the phone call, so I'm that guy, so I'm sitting there, and I've got all this energy going through me. My, my son comes out, my firstborn. Rachel has, limited my words when I see babies. Like, because usually I say what I think and it's like, Greg, don't talk about their nose. Don't talk about their forehead. Don't talk about, uh, cute, all nice. Well, babies, in my opinion, 
and I know I'm weird, they're not that great because they scream, they holler, they're wet, they're nasty. And when he came out, I remember going, I love him. He's done nothing for me. He hasn't earned anything from me. But immediately, God clicked in my brain. He loves me. Not because of my merit, not because of what I do, but because of who I am. This is my child. I'm well pleased. Inner grace. This is my child. Well pleased. Inner Emma. This is my child. I'm well pleased. I fell in love with him way before. We even started doing life together. It was at the moment that they were my child that I began to love and I couldn't comprehend it because I've never experienced it before. And I began to understand God's love when he said, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased before a single thing was ever done. I love him. I'm pleased to be his dad. There's no shame when I look upon him. Don't get me wrong. As I'm sure your children, they've, all three of them have disappointed me as I have them. They've all three made me proud. Maybe not so much me. But regardless of where we stand, I love them. They're my children. I'm well pleased. I'm excited to do life with them together. So let that sink in for you. Because one of the things we're going to see unfold is, is one of the, the wily ways of Satan is he wants to divide you away from God the Father. He wants to make you feel like you didn't deserve it, you don't earn it, you're not his child. If you were his child, you're gonna see this unfold. So don't miss this moment. I think it is truly on purpose. I think Matthew blessed me, and I hope he blesses you when he wrote these words leading into the temptation. Let's pray together. Father God, we thank you so much. Lord, as we get ready to look at the temptations, Lord, it's on purpose the words that came before. Lord, we all feel unworthy. We all fall short of your glory. We all need grace upon grace upon grace. But may we not lose you in the process. Even here in the mire, in the dirt, in the mud that is called our lives, may our eyes still be affixed upon you and see you as our loving Father that's not merited upon how good or how bad we do, but you love us and you are here for us. You're on our team. You want to help us journey through life. You want to do life with us. May that sink in. May we not miss it as we travel through it. We all have these things that we're going through. We all have other things that we will go through. We love you. In Jesus' name, continue to stand. Matthew 4, verse 1. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and for 40 nights, he was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city, and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the son of God, he said, throw yourself down, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. 
Jesus answered him, it is also written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all of the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. Jesus said to him, away from me, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him and the angels came and they attended him. You may be seated. Matthew chapter one, verses, or four, verses one and two, I think they set the stage for us in, in what he's about to do. And, and I want to make sure that we don't move out of those too quickly. It says, Jesus was led by the spirit. Notice that it was the spirit that led him into this temptation. He didn't have those urges that we have. The, the sinfulness inside of us that, that drive, drives us to these places of temptation into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And my brain goes, like, when you look at the end of chapter three and the beginning of chapter four, there's really doesn't seem to be a pause. It seems to be instantaneous. Like, this high happened. Like, all right, this is my son for whom I'm well pleased, and now I'm being led by the Spirit straight into this long test and temptation. In my brain, like, I, I picture things, and I apologize, my, my group of guys that we meet with, they hear this all the time. My brain just tries to think of weird things. It's like, was Jesus still dripping? Like, had he even dried off yet? Like, I feel like it happened that quickly. It was like, I'm so high, everything is wonderful. That's my son for whom I'm well pleased. Still dripping wet. Sometimes it feels like that. It's like everything seems so good and then all of a sudden you get a call, you get a text, you get an email, you get a, you get a notification. It's like you went from here and the pendulum swung so quickly. Verse two, after fasting for 40 days and for 40 nights, he was hungry. I want you to notice the word at the very beginning of that verse. It says after. He went for 40 days and 40 nights. It doesn't mention that he was hungry during that time. I feel like we can all probably connect to this in just a little piece. We've been so engrossed in something in our lives. Maybe we were working and we were working on something so intently that all of a sudden we looked at the clock and it was like, whoa, it's four. My stomach, I, I missed lunch. Like I didn't even, what in the world? I don't wanna eat now. Dinner's coming up really soon. I may as well just push through. Students, maybe it was a video game. Right? You woke up, it was dark, and then all of a sudden it was dark again. You missed the whole day, right? Been there, right? It's like, I, he was so engrossed. Like, I can miss a meal, but then I always know I have dinner, right? He missed 40 lunches with 40 breakfasts and dinners. He missed them all. But he was so engrossed in that one meal that we might miss and not really, quote, miss it because we were so focused. He was able to be focused on his Lord, his God, so much that he was feasting upon the word. He missed them all. And when he came out of that, he hungered or he was hungry. A couple side notes. He was led into the wilderness of Sinai into solitude that even the angels were on the periphery, lying in wait, waiting for the completion of his journey, his task, 
so that they can then come, that we will see in verse 11, to console him, to love on him, encourage him. It's probably where Moses and Elijah both fasted for 40 days. Some different things that you see that sometimes we look over, but you have to dig a little bit deeper. Israel, which is God's chosen people, his children, they were led out of Egypt into the wilderness to be fed by manna, provision from heaven, from God. We have Jesus, who is God's son, led out into the wilderness, and he feasted upon the word of God and didn't hunger. Man fell by eating. Okay, the first sin, we bit. Many times after that, we still sin that way, be it overindulgence of gluttony, be it cutting in front of a line or wanting to eat a little bit more, making sure we eat that extra whatever that is because we know it's not gonna make it through the night in the refrigerator. So Christ hungered and he focused on the behold the behold that Jeremy was talking about, to focus our attention on the Lord instead of being distracted by all these other things, be it food, be it whatever that it is. I went to a funeral yesterday, Karen Maddox's mother. Patricia now understands behold. Her eyes are affixed to Jesus in a way that we are to be working towards training ours to. To look up, to look to him instead of looking down here in the mire, in the muck, in the mess. If Jesus wasn't tempted, why should we think that we, after honors, expect humbling? And God usually prepares us for a temptation. He doesn't send us in willy-nilly. In the high school group, we did a series not too long ago. It was about David and Goliath in the series about David and Goliath, and please understand, I, I realize that we are not David, and we're not really fighting Goliath, but we can learn some things from David and the way that he handled them, the way that he prepared and got ready for the battle. And so we, we see this young guy that he was mocked and made fun of because of his stature, because of his age. He was facing a nine foot nine giant. We rally around that and go, I want to do that. We have all these things that we have to face. I want to do that. We had to back up to see how he did it. If you back up just a little bit, he had already told Saul, like, I'm sick and tired of, of seeing my older brothers fail. Like, they keep walking up to the line. It's like, fee, fi, fo, fum, and then I'm leaving. I'm going the other way. It's like, what in the world? Why are they doing this for 40 days? They keep towing the rubber. They see the giant. They cast down their eyes, and they go back. It's almost like this state of depression has set in. He said, I'll go fight him. So Saul starts getting out his, his armor and he starts suiting it up and getting him ready. And he's like, no, I don't wanna fight that way. That's not the way that I think I should be fighting. I think I should be fighting the way that I know. As believers, we're, we're told to do in like. The way that we fight is not the ways of the world. You don't return evil for evil, hatred for hatred. We're to be loving, loving in Jesus' name. If you back up even further in David's life, you're gonna see that he was almost the forgotten one. As a matter of fact, we were getting ready to usher in a new king and they're like, it's gonna come from your house. We, we, we need to find, where are your, your sons? And so we started parading all the sons in here. It's like, okay, this, no, 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 no. Is that it? Is that all you got? Where's David? 
He's in the field. Somebody get David. In this season, when he wasn't in the limelight slaying giants, the Goliaths, he was learning lots of stuff. He was in a quiet place, leading the sheep. And it was in those times of preparation that God showed him how it was that he was going to win. He killed a bear, he killed a lion by a sling and a stone. So God is wanting to do some stuff in us to prepare us for the temptation that lies ahead. And so whatever temptations, whatever things that you are going to be going through, whatever phone calls you're about to get, whatever emails that you're about to get when you leave this room, God has been trying to get our affections and attention ready for preparedness for today. And so may we learn from this, if I'm not ready for today, God, may I learn from this that I would behold you and then be ready for tomorrow because there's some training that needs to transpire. There's some things that he wants to do in us to get us ready. James chapter one, verses 13 through 15. I'm gonna start on 14. It says, but each of us is tempted when we are dragged away by their own evil desires and enticed. Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. The next scripture is one that, man, I knew it before I was even a believer. I went to Morrow High School. I played on the soccer team. My coach was Jerry Moore. I don't know if Jerry Moore was a believer or not, but he had us say the Lord's Prayer before every soccer game, and so I knew it by rote. Had no idea what it meant, but I knew it by rote. If you look at the last verse, it says, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. We shouldn't take this too easily to say, hey, I'm gonna allow my feet to go to this place or this place. If you're an alcoholic, don't go to a bar, okay? If you know that you're prone for this, then don't go there. Don't take it lightheartedly. But when you do find yourself there, the only one that will deliver you is the Lord and the strength of him in you and the preparation from whence he has done beforehand. In raising children, and I know some of you in this room have probably experienced it as I have as well. In raising your children, you have lots of people that know how to do it better than you, right? They'll see you know, what's going on in your family and they'll, they'll be like, hey, have you tried this and that and the other? And, and even sometimes maybe you and I have been tempted to speak into people's lives. But isn't it ironic in, in speaking of Dr. Spock, <laughs> who had no children telling us how to raise our children, um, you know, that somebody may try to speak into our lives and you might be raising teenagers and they have infants and they're trying to tell you what to do. It's like you just don't quite comprehend, you just don't quite understand. Praise be to God that we are not there when it comes to our Lord and our Savior. He walked through this so that he wouldn't be that guy saying, hey, I can fix your problems, though I don't understand them. Hebrews chapter four, verses 14 through 16. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly the faith that we profess. 
For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. As we're getting ready to step into the temptations, there's a couple more things I wanna draw out, and one of which is the first two temptations. They're small derivatives of truth, and please understand a small derivative of truth is not truth. Truth is absolute, it's 100%, all encasing. If there's anything missing in that truth, it's a lie. 99% truth is a lie. So if Satan is in his ways, a lot of times is going to come along the truths, try to pervert them in just a minor little way to get us to offstep the path, the narrow path that we're supposed to be on. If we offstep the path for that 1% for a long period of time, we find ourselves in China. And that's what he's doing in the first two. These derivatives, these small derivatives that he's trying to call Jesus into, sometimes it makes sense. It's like, wait a minute. Yes, there are some scriptures that I think that I can back up what you're saying if I pull them out and look at them all by themselves. And so it's gonna take discernment. He's artful, he's subtle. And then the last one, he's very strong. It's like the knockout punch, shall we say. He's been setting it up to get us to this place where we're just so tired, just at a place of complacency, and then boom, he's gonna hit you with this really big temptation of denying him completely, his lordship, his throne. We see that Christ answered with, it is written, referring to Moses' writings in Deuteronomy. Every single time, he's going back to the writings of Moses. Just a few weeks ago, Jeremy was in John 1.1, and we see in John 1.1 that the word became flesh. He was the word. Matter of fact, so Jesus is the flesh manifestation of the word. So here Satan is throwing some things. He's quoting Moses and quoting scripture and he's basically saying, hey, do this because I know this word. Instead of Jesus could have just been spouting off, no, that's not right because of this, because of this, because of this. Because he was the word. Like he didn't have to go quote the Old Testament writings, yet he did. He did that for me. He did that for you. He did that for us so that we would understand the way to be prepared for these situations is to get into the word. The way that we can be prepared is to dive into the word and allow it to permeate into us so that we would recognize the shepherd's voice. There's many people that want to come and they want to, to take the sheep and lead them in a different direction, but you have gotta recognize his voice. Psalm 119, verses nine through 16. How can a young person stay on the path of purity by living according to your word? I seek you with all of my heart. Do not let me stray from your commands. I've hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Praise be to the Lord. Teach me your decrees. With my lips, I recount all the laws that come from your mouth. I rejoice in the following statutes as one who rejoices in great riches. I meditate on your precepts and consider your ways. I delight in your decrees. I will not neglect your word. It is so important that we have these moments when we just sit. We had a challenge with the students, a 21-day challenge with the high school students that, that basically for 21 days spend at least 10 minutes 
seeking the Lord, devoting your eyes to him, devoting your, your, your eyes to the word in prayer, that we have to have this type of preparedness. And when God has brought us to this place, just as he did with Jesus, he had this huge, beautiful moment of fellowship with God that he didn't even need food because he was so filled with God and his fellowship with him. Satan is ready to pounce. Matter of fact, Satan doesn't necessarily even mind that people go to church, that people come and they sit in chairs and they have learning they have knowledge. I don't think Satan even cares if you're good. I think you start to get his attention when you do good, when you're prone to do good, but in his name. There's a lot of organizations out there doing a lot of really good things. Matter of fact, you go, oh my gosh, they're out working the church. When you get to a place that the Lord is preparing you to get ready to actually go live it out and do it, attune your ears, prepare yourself because Satan will come. He will attack. I have a slide here. It's called passing the temptation. Some things that we need to do if we want to be ready, and, and some of this we've already seen in Jesus, some of it's to come, and some of it even falls outside of the bounds. If we want to pass temptation, if that is our desire that we want to model after Jesus, we need to be prepared. That preparedness comes when we behold, when we, our intimacy with the Lord and his word is there, when we are getting in this intimacy with him. The next thing that we see is the assurances once again, if you are a child of God, if you've had that moment when you have allowed him to take your sins away and wash you clean, you can rest assured that if you can't earn it, you can't lose it. Nothing is going to take you from the Father's hand. Okay, so we step into these temptations with assuredness. It may hurt. I may not like it. I may want to quit, but I know I'm a child of God. Let me, let me just sink that into me. Selflessness, humble yourself that he may lift you up. Okay, we're gonna see in just a little bit, Satan loves us to feel prideful. He wants to elevate us so that we get puffy and excited about ourselves and then we become useless and we will fall. And then surrender. Crawl upon the altar again on this day. Romans 12, one. We are a living sacrifice. Now the temptations that we see, we're going to go back to Matthew chapter four, three through four. Satan is so watchful. He watches you. He knows where you're at. He knows where your weaknesses lie and his temptations will come custom fit for you. Custom fit for me. Verse three, the tempter came to him and said, if you are the son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone, but on the very word that comes from the mouth of God. So he knew that he had been for 40 days. He knew that he was out in a wilderness and he was not gonna be able to go to the drive-thru and order a number one with pepper jack cheese and two Chick-fil-A sauces. He knew that he was in dire straits. He knew 
And so it's by no surprise that he being watchful looked at his weakness and in that weakness came head on to him. And what he said to him is basically take control, take your dependence out of God's hands. Don't pray to God that he would change these stones to bread, that he would provide for you in your need. Do it. And here's where it gets, like I said, you have to have discernment because if you go back and you look in Proverbs, it teaches us to be like the ants, to work hard. If you don't work, you don't eat. You see this stuff in there. And so you have to be discernful of what the truth is in the moment and make sure that you're not gonna fall off the path. That's why the intimacy with the Lord is so important. He wants to overthrow your dependence and your duty to him your communion. He's going to use your outward afflictions and, and wants and your burdens. Would God really let you go through that? If you really are a child of God, would you be suffering like this? Look at all those other people. Their lives are wonderful. Flip through them all. Double click them. You see they're great. They're doing wonderful. If you are a child of God, why would he let you go through that? He wants to shake our faith in the word of God. Did he really say? Did he really say that? Is that really what he intended you to interpret? He started that with Adam and Eve. He'll plant thoughts of he's an unkind and unfaithful God that has forgotten or forsaken you. He wants to keep you blinded. He doesn't want you to know the fullness of the truth. He wants us to become self-sufficient. No need of God. And if you look at the United States of America, we do struggle with this because we do have the ability to do a lot of things on our own. If you've ever been to Guatemala, it doesn't take very long to look around the villages when you're walking around to say there's a felt need here. We have lots of needs here, don't get me wrong but most of them internal because we, we provide all the physical stuff, but we're empty on the inside. And so counseling is up, medication is up, uh, anxiety is up. All this is up because we have a lot of needs, we just don't have the felt needs, they're all internal. And so it's a lot easier to go to Guatemala and say, okay, this, this family, the, the roof is leaking, they have one mattress on a dirt floor and there's like 18 of them and they have black smoke on their walls and the black smoke on their walls is because they're trying to cook in there and so no wonder the kids can't breathe very good. They know they have needs. They know they need help. Some of them have been crying out for help for so long. And so to walk into those situations, we can go do good just like we can uh, in the student cafe, cut uh, all, the, all the Coke bottle things so turtles don't get strangulated. Uh, I mean, that's, I'm not saying that's not bad, but to help somebody in the name of Jesus, to lead them to a relationship, if you're prone to do that, God's attention is on you. And so is Satan's to go help homeless people in our community. God's attention's on you, but so is Satan's. He knew that he needed to be looking to God for sufficiency. But the second temptation 
Satan took his strength and he spun it. And as that's going to be true, because he knew that we have a propensity as humans to become prideful in our strengths. I'm good at that. Man, I did good at that. Verse five. Then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the son of God, he said, then throw yourself down for it is written. He will command his angels concerning you and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against the ground. Jesus answered him, it is also written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. The first Adam was tempted in a holy garden and Jesus was tempted in a holy temple. Never take for granted your location as you are safe. Just because you're at church and you're hanging around other churched people doesn't mean you're safe. Never let your guard down. Satan is going to try to get you any and everywhere. And if you rest on your laurels, meaning if you are not in a state of preparedness, you're going to be an easy one to pick off in all places, in all times, no matter where you are. He took him up to the temple. He went from private to public. Lots of people around. And in this situation, Satan rose him up and that's what he likes to do. He likes to raise us up so that we would be filled with pride. In Proverbs 16, 18 says, pride goes before destruction, a haughty spirit before a fall. God wants us to be cast down so that we can be lifted up. If you look at Luke 14, in Luke 14, Jesus is telling a story and he's telling it in front of his disciples. I'm gonna bring that back up in just a second, but he's telling the story in front of his disciples. If you're invited to a dinner and the host has this table set and you see that the host is sitting right over here, don't sit yourself right here to his right and to his left. Because if somebody comes that's a little bit more important than you from his perspective, then you're gonna find yourself embarrassed because all of a sudden he's gonna say, hey, Greg, um, I applaud you trying to sit here, but that's my father-in-law coming in and that's kind of his spot. So I need you to shift on down the table. He said, why don't you instead go sit at the foot of the table and when you sit at the foot of the table, if the host sees you and says, wait a minute, why are you sitting down there? Please, come on, stand up, move forward. In that situation and right here, in verse 11, it says, for all those who exalt themselves will be humbled and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Humble your spirit. Realize your dependence and need for God. Just because you passed one test, you're not invincible, you're not Superman. You, the very same test could get you the next time. God, thank you for your grace. Thank you for your grace and your strength that you allowed that. And Satan's gonna try to spin it. Oh yeah, you feel comfortable, Jesus, that you are? You feel comfortable that you need to stay dependent upon your father and he really cares for you? Oh, follow me. If you're so dependent, so sure of yourself that you are a son of God and he's gonna protect you, he's gonna take care of you, he's gonna provide for you, jump. Didn't you say? Didn't you say that you were a son and that you were confident he was gonna have your best interest, he was gonna take care of you? Matter of fact, here's some scripture that goes along with it. He's not gonna let you fall and get hurt. He's gonna take care of you, do it, go. Notice he didn't push. 
He told him, jump. See, because Satan has boundaries. He can't go beyond where the lines are that God has said, don't go past this point. You see it with Job? You obviously see it with Jesus. He didn't push him. I mean, if Satan really could, don't you think he would have pushed him at that moment? Like, this is him. Bam, done. He didn't do it because he couldn't. Verse eight. This is the knockout punch one. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all of the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All of this I will give to you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. Jesus said to him, away from me, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. You process through this. It's like, first off, God was there at creation. All things were created by him. All things are created for him. He already saw all this. Okay, but he's showing him something. And it kind of, it, it is intriguing to me how he, Satan, could show him all this stuff simultaneously at the same time. No other place in time do I think that we've come closer to this than now. And don't you know that Satan probably only showed him the alluring things because he didn't come as the guy with the horns and the pitchfork, right? He came as an angel of light. He came as if he was one of Jesus's friends saying, hey, I'm here to help you, by the way. I can circumvent this whole thing. The suffering part that you're going through and that you're going to have to go through, I can help you with that. Don't you think he just showed him the good stuff? And now with the internet, with our phones and with our computers, we have the ability more than any other time in the world to be able to see all the things all the time. I kind of picture what, what Satan was showing Jesus was those selfie moments. Only the good. Probably airbrushed a little bit, right? We, we took them through an app and we made them look good. Took maybe 15 different pictures to make sure the background was in the right and you saw the good side of my face. I don't even know what side my good side is. What side is my good side? You don't know either? Whoa. But we take all of these pictures to present just the good. We don't see in the shadows an empty person trying to feel good about themselves so they present themselves in a certain way. Jesus presenting or having presented to him everything that looked perfect but not really being exposed, the shadows, the death, the destruction. The first sin began with our eyes. Genesis chapter three, verse six. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was there with her, and he ate it. They weren't focused on the shadows. They were focused on just the good. Lying in the shadows was death, destruction, sorrow. How serious are our eyes? Our eyes are the window to our souls. 
Matthew 5, 29. It says, if your eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than your whole body be thrown into hell. As we enter into this moment, we need to realize we need to make a covenant with the Lord about what we're putting our eyes towards. Are we beholding him? Is it him that our eyes are focused on? That was the reset that, that Jeremy was sharing with us. As we're getting ready to go into these temptations, we had to be beholding him. Our eyes had to be looking to him. We had to make a covenant with him about the things that we're gonna look at. That's why I think social media fasts are good because we're looking at everything. Notice that Jesus abhorred this one. There was no debate. There was no rhetoric back and forth. He basically said, all right, you're done. I'm not, I'm not gonna worship. Nope, not gonna bet on and worship you. Nope, not gonna do it. Have your lines drawn firmly. Dismiss him in the name of Jesus. And then we see in verse 11, and I love this, I just picture them waiting for this moment, loving Jesus so much. Then the devil left him and the angels came and attended him and loved on him. There's hope for us. You see, a lot of times we, we get so focused on the negative side of temptations or hardships or trials or whatever we want to call them. We get so focused on them and we do. We look at everybody else and go, everybody else seems to always be on these vacations. Everybody else always seems to be happy and smiling and I, I seem to have a lot of different luck. I'm in a different place. But in James chapter one, verses two through eight, we know we can rest assured that God is gonna use all things for the good of those who love him. He's even going to use these hardships, these temptations for our good. And we can see that in James. And so as we model what Jesus has done, as we get ready to pass the temptation, even in the midst of it, James 1, 2 says, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that it, you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Humble yourself. If any of you lacks wisdom, ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. But when you ask, you must believe and not doubt. Because the one who doubts is like the wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Such a person is double-minded and unstable in all that they do. Consider it pure joy when you go through this because you know that the Lord is at work even in this time. Even in the time when it seems, where are you, God? He's there and he's working in you. If you're not there today, you will be. 
In 1 Peter 5, 8, it talks about how Satan is like a lion wanting to devour, and lions always hunt in packs. It's usually the females, and they go after a herd, whether it's a wildebeest or zebras or llamas. It doesn't matter. Llamas. I was about to say llamas. That was weird. They don't go after llamas, I don't think. But as they're going after a herd, what they look for is the one that looks a little bit weak. And they're going to go, and they're going to try to take that weak one, and they're going to try to separate it from everybody else. And sometimes we feel that way. I seem to be the only one that goes through these things. Everybody else has a smile on their face. They, they, they look good. They got their makeup on. They, they're, they're dressed nice. It's like, why is it going on this way for me? Knowing that that's the way that Satan wants to devour us is to make us feel isolated and alone. I highly encourage you beyond a burgundy chair on a Sunday morning that you go another step deeper and you try to surround yourself with a group of people. If you don't have a group of people, I know at the end of the service, Jeremy's gonna be over here. If you're wanting to find out, how do I get tied into a group of people so that I can walk through this with them together so that I can learn that I'm not all alone in these situations, then there is that opportunity for you and I plead with you. Don't just surround yourself with people, surround yourself with people going in the direction, the direction of beholding, the direction of though we're all faltered and failed and have our uh, blemishes and hiccups, we are still trying to fall forward. We're, We're progressing together. And the hope that we can find that we're not alone, but we usually don't see that we're not all alone because we island ourselves is found in 1 Corinthians. I'm gonna skip down to verse 12 where it says, so if you think you're standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. Do not be prideful. If you see somebody that's falling or faltering in a sin that you have not faltered or fallen in, be careful. You need to make sure to realize in God's eyes, all sins are equal and we are all capable. Verse 13, no temptation has taken you except what is common to mankind. God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. You're not alone. You have a savior who loves you, who has been tempted in every way. And there are other saints that are around you, other believers that are around you that want to partner with you. Maybe they're 14 steps ahead. Maybe they're a little bit further behind and that we can lock arms together and we can continue to charge the hill because Satan wants you to feel alone. We've never felt more alone than COVID, right? Satan's loving this. So I encourage you. Step into that. Find a group of people who are moving forward. Not just attending church, but moving forward and do life with them. One more time, passing temptations. Preparedness. 
what we're going to do today will impact our tomorrows. Are we beholding? Assurances? Know that you're loved not because of what you've done, but because of whose you are. If you're his child, you are unconditionally loved. You didn't earn it, and you won't lose it. Selflessness. Humble ourselves that he may lift us up. To flee from pride and arrogance, which is going to puff us up and make us fall. And then last, surrender. Crawl upon the altar again on this day. Let us pray. Lord, we thank you so much that we can know, we can rest assured that when we are in a temptation, you have provided a way out. Lord, you've even mapped it out in advance for us how to have a victory. Lord, help us not to be spiritually lazy. Help us to spend time with you. Lord, I ask that your Holy Spirit has freedom to encourage, to rebuke or challenge for your glory today. Lord, I'm so grateful that you showed us the way. I'm so glad for the end of chapter 13 as we lead into 14. I'm so glad for the way that you responded to Satan using the word, not because you needed the word, because you were the word, Lord, but it was for me. Thank you for details. May you be glorified in this body and in this community. In Christ's name, amen. Amen.